I would like us to consider the challenge of Christmas this morning, if I may. First of all, I'd like to look at the circumstances of Christmas. The circumstances of Christmas. On that eventful night, the angel brought good news, as is seen in Luke 2, verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. End of quote. We cannot examine the circumstances that surround the birth of Jesus without being impressed with the element of the supernatural. And I'd like us to think about that to begin with. The supernatural birth of Christ today. In the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. If we accept the Bible to be the word of God, and it is, we are obligated to believe in the supernatural birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are many who are in high places and positions in our world who do not believe in the virgin birth. But that doesn't change the fact that he was born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary. The process of the birth, of course, was very natural. I am convinced that she had labor pains, like a normal woman would have before delivery. But the conception was divine. The first mention of God's plan for salvation is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Permit me to quote, please. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is talking about the battle for us. How Jesus Christ would crush the head of Satan, but he will strike his heel. He died 
for you and for me. I'd like us to note also in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, here we see the Spirit with the Holy Father to produce the incarnate Christ. Dr. Luke records it for us this way, and I quote, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So that Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. End of quote. A challenge this is, or should be, to our hearts today. No one can afford to ignore the person who was born into the world in this unique way. We see the prophecy fulfilled in Luke 2, 11. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Out of some 333 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the first advent of the Lord, a fair number was, fulfill, was fulfilled at his birth. This is one of the greatest proof that the Bible is the word of God. When the wise men or the magis came to the palace of Herod and asked for the newborn king, the scribes emphatically declared that Christ would be born in Bethlehem of Judah, fulfilling the prophecy of Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Permit me to quote, please. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you, will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origin are from old or of old, from the ancient time. End of quote. But my second point is, I'd like us to look at the crime of Christmas that is very, very evident even today. No room. Luke 2, verse 7, I quote, And she gave birth to her firstborn, 
son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. When Joseph and Mary arrived at the inn and requested accommodation for the night, they were told there is no room. The innkeeper refused to take in these weary travelers. Hebrews 13.2 reminds us how important it is to allow and be a part of visitors. Listen to what it says. Hebrews 13.2 Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. This was no angel. He is the creator, the savior of the universe. But there was no room in the end. I note also the sin of indifference. There was no room for them in the inn. There was no excuse for the innkeeper to be so indifferent to the needs of these weary travelers. Mary was indeed a chosen vessel of God to bring into this world the king of kings the Lord of Lords, the Savior of the universe, the great I am, if I may. But there was no room for him. But this innkeeper was, I would say, willfully indifferent to all this. But how typical this is for men and women of our day and generation. This is the king of righteousness I'm talking about. The king of eternal. The king of heaven. The king of the universe. He is indeed the matchless one. His grace is sufficient. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. I don't know about you, but he is all that I need. Romans 8.20 puts it 
puts it this way. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not so also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Think of it. God did not hold heaven's best back from us. He gave. He became poor that you might experience his righteousness. This is the sin or the willful sin of indifference. No room. But there was also, I believe, the sin of ferritism. There was no room for them in the inn. Undoubtedly, the innkeeper refused Joseph and Mary because he was too busy. The senses of Caesar Augustus was a good thing in this way, he told himself. For it filled his home with guests and his pocket with money. To have welcomed this couple would have meant turning away another couple guess, or giving up his own room, and he was not about to do that. Probably he refused these travelers because they were poor and wore shabby clothes. James 2, verse 2 and 3 tells us about making such decisions. If Joseph and Mary had been able to hold up a purse with gold and be able to display their wealth, I can guarantee you he would have quickly found room for them, even if it meant instead of them going in the stable, he would have gone in the stable. How true this is today, though. Men and women are far too busy with worldly involvement. They know very well that if Christ comes into their lives, certain other things will have to go out. Someone said to me a few weeks ago when I invited him to trust the Lord as his personal savior, 
He said, but if I do that, then I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't do the other. Same thing. It hasn't changed. It's the same thing today. But what is more tragic is, if Christ possessed them, they will have to follow him who was lowly, despised, rejected, and whose symbol is always the cross. So, what was true then is still true today. As John 1.11 tells us, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Are you guilty of this crime during this season? But thirdly, I see the good news of Christmas. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This angelic announcement spells out God's claim upon every life. The name, the title of our Lord was very carefully chosen in order that we might understand from the very beginning that Jesus Christ came into this world to claim a people for himself or for his name. We see that Christ's coming into this world has also a saving claim upon your life. Unto you is born a savior. When the angel appeared to Joseph to announce the coming birth of Jesus, he said, and I quote from Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, she will give you, give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. End of quote. This is a man's greatest need. There is a sense in which he has everything but a savior. Prior to him, we had prophets. We had priests. We even had the lawgiver. But there was no final solution. Why? 
because there was no answer to sin. What man needs is not a messenger, a way of worship, or even a standard of living that we hear so much about today. He needs a savior. If a man is drowning and you are standing there just looking on, he doesn't need a voice to attract his attention or even give him instruction in swimming techniques. He needs what? A savior. He needs someone to save him. But we love to give advice as to how they can help themselves. But what is missing is the Savior. We note also a spiritual claim upon our lives. Unto you is born a Savior, which is Christ. This title, Christ, means the anointed one. It is a term which makes him not only priest or prophet and king, but he is the only one that the Holy Spirit came upon without measure. All the others had a limited amount of measure, but upon Christ there was no measure at all. This only points out the fact that God's claim upon our lives is essentially a spiritual one. In other words, we are more than body and soul. We are spiritual beings. And until we are equipped to live above the spiritual debt that we find ourselves in, we are totally unequipped to stand in God's presence. Why am I saying that? John 4.24 answers the question. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Are you alive to God? Have you responded to that spiritual challenge of Jesus Christ? But I note something else. 
I note the sovereign claim upon our life. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This world will never be put right until Jesus Christ reigns as King of kings and Lord of lords. What is true for the world in general is equally true for the individual personally. Your life will never know peace, purpose, or power until Christ reigns with unchallenged sovereignty in your life. He was born to be Lord. That is why the text says he is Christ, the Lord. He died that he might be Lord. He rose again that he might be Lord. For the Bible says in Romans 14, 9, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. End of quote. In other words, the purpose of this advent is that God might reign in the hearts of men throughout the universe, but above all, in his beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Have you given him unconditional surrender? Is he Lord of your spirit? Lord of your soul? Lord of your body? I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment if you don't know that for sure. But in conclusion, we note the supreme challenge of Christmas. Not only the circumstances that we have considered, or even the awful crime, which is perpetrated year by year. But these claims of Jesus Christ should be upon your lives. Now it's your turn. I was talking a lot, but I want to give you an opportunity to make 
a decision. I have a few questions for you. Only you can answer this. What is your response to the challenge of a Christ-filled Christmas? Will you continue to reject him as Christ, the Christ of Christmas? Or are you willing to surrender to him as Savior and Lord of your life? That is my prayer this morning. If you are here and you cannot say without a shadow or doubt that if you were to die today because God has not promised us tomorrow. He says today, if you hear my voice, harden not your heart. I want to encourage you. What better time than this, to surrender spirit, soul, and body to the Christ of the universe. There is no better time.